Good evening, Patriots. And it's Thursday, August 11th in the year 2022. East Coast, you just hit Friday. We'll catch up. It's a good day to be on. We'll be there soon enough. Patriots, you know what the FBI wants to do. You know what the IRS, what they want to do. They want to come knocking on your door. They want to come in, catch you like at the worst moment in time when you're not ready. Come in and hand you some sort of faked up warrant to tell you they're going to, they need to look into your safe or look into your wife's underwear drawer because that's what they love to do. But my pillow to the rescue. Why? Because they have the new super duper all terrain ready at any time. My slippers. So even if you're in bed, doesn't even matter if you're not wearing anything. Those slippers are ready for action. Let Mike Lindell tell you all about them. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and due to your incredible support, the original My Slippers are almost completely sold out. As a special thank you, I am launching my brand new all-season slippers, slides, and sandals for as low as $29.98. This is a limited time offer, so go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code and you'll get all my new footwear for as low as $29.98. My all-season slippers are made with my exclusive four-layer design that you won't find in any other slipper. They're finished with a breathable fabric so you can wear them all year round. And my new slides and sandals are made with patented impact gel, making them ultra comfortable and extremely durable. I guarantee they'll be the most comfortable footwear you'll ever own. So go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen now to get your very own all-season slippers, slides, and sandals for as low as $29.98 with your promo code. This is an introductory offer and it won't last long, so order now. That's Tactical Ready My Slippers by MyPillow in case the FBI IRS comes knocking at your door with their new tactical profile. Remember, the IRS has now been authorized to shoot Americans on site. But hey, don't worry about that because you can find those super-duper Tactical slippers at mypillow.com forward slash bards, promo code bards, mypillow.com forward slash bards, promo code bards, or you can talk to a Patriot tactical slipper operator at 800-975-2939, 800-975-2939, and they are on the ready to get you hooked up. Patriots, I think, speaking of the FBI, I think we ought to listen to a good perspective on the FBI. I think we ought to speak, listen to somebody who kind of talks about the FBI once in a while. And that would be Buddy Brown. You know, all this news of the FBI raiding President Trump's house, it kind of got me thinking. If the FBI tried to raid a redneck's house, first off, they'd never get what they're looking for. I mean, you'd have to get those, those FBI trucks. They better be four-wheel drive because you got a two-and-a-half-mile dirt road all like this, all behind you, <laughs> getting on back there. And that pothole, that pothole that you think comes around the corner there on the left that you think is only about six to eight inches deep, no, it's about three-and-a-half feet deep, and only the locals know about that. So you better get a winch on the front of that truck and be able to winch yourself out. By the time all this has happened, the dogs are barking, your cousin's already called you from the front of the road and you're out of there. You ain't never gonna find nothing except for some leftover pork rinds and some dadgum Dale Jr. collectible cups. (laughs) But when you're the former president of the United States that triggers the left beyond all imagination, the story goes a little bit different, doesn't it? Um, First off, as y'all know, this happened on Monday. It's the first time in U.S. history anything like this has ever gone down. Nobody has ever raided a former U.S. president, especially not our own FBI. It's absolutely lunacy. So as of uh, August 8th, 2022, the new standard is to go after all your political enemies. 
is exactly the message that has been sent, which is a scary ass message. Um, and it just goes to show just how truly dangerous and truly irresponsible the Democrats are. We have now welcomed in thug state police tactics. And anyone that's celebrating this whole thing right now will have no grounds to complain when it comes to your door, because it will. I mean, the January 6th committees, they weren't turning up nothing. So obviously, let's go raid the man's house. Um, if they say they found something, okay, but who's actually going to believe that any of these documents are real? You tell me that. You know, I hate to go all red dawn on you or anything, but we are now living in a place and in a time that is outside the control of the United States of America. That place... It still exists, but it's only in the heartland, and it's only controlled by, you know, a minority of uh, people in the Senate and governors and all that kind of stuff, at least for a time. Nancy Pelosi said yesterday that nobody is above the law. I'm really starting to think that her uh, her speechwriters are starting to just write this stuff and then laugh their asses off in the break room. You know, can you believe we actually put that out there when Paul Pelosi is getting away with all this illegal crap that he's doing, and Nancy's going to go out there and say something like that, like nobody's above the law? This is hilarious. So here's my question to y'all. What is their end game? What's their next uh, chess move? I believe, personally, that it's either to plant something or, more probable, uh, it's to try to move Trump into a massive rage, to just try to get him to rage. If they can go into the bear's den while he's sleeping and kick the bear as hard as they possibly can and then get him to chase him out of the den, raging and biting and clawing, then they can paint him as the terrible monster that they want him to be and say, look, society, he's too dangerous. You know, Glenn Beck said on his program yesterday, what is the end game? What is the end game? Who would be stupid enough to do this? I emailed him. I said, I think this is it. I really think it's to get him to rage and to, uh, to take the bait and to get some kind of nuclear soundbite against him so that they can paint the picture that they want to. But the sobering news, y'all, is that everybody's in trouble now. If they can go after a former president, they can go after you, they can go after me. And then finding out that this, this judge that ordered the whole thing used to work for Jeffrey Epstein and his clients, oh my goodness, like I said, this is how dangerous and irresponsible the liberals actually are to weaponize the Department of Justice. This is actually how dangerous they are, y'all. If you're an FBI member, I really hope that you are supremely embarrassed by the upper elite members of your bureau. They lean left, obviously, because they can get more dirty work done than they can working for the right. But left-wingers, they just showed everybody in America their hand, as far as I'm concerned. They're willing to stop at nothing to paint the picture that they want Americans to believe. And it's just like the Bible says, when the wicked are in power, the people groan. Well, we're groaning, all right. Let's see how this whole thing plays out. But as far as the Redneck's house, you ain't coming up in here, son. We're going to know about it. Be good. You betcha. Just like that. You know, that's that last comment's pretty good, because that's all... When the wicked are in power, the people groan. And I, I, it's like, okay, and what are we doing? And, of course, you'll get this response. It always comes on, well, God's already won. <laughs> okay. Does that mean sit on your butt? Because I don't think so. And that's, that's what I find constantly the problem is there is a lot of groaning, but there's not a lot of doing. And the other problem I, I, I look at here is people say, well, what can I do? What can I possibly do? We're five years, six years if you've been following President Trump since 2016. Seven years if you, if you followed him when he first entered in on the campaign. Seven years. If you were following the nightmare of Obama, that began in 2008. And I was in Afghanistan when that happened and got to see the 
insanity that was taking over the country from the outside in. And I got to see an entire movement of conservatives just go mum, quiet. They didn't know what to do because the left was just raging. I wrote an article at the request of Arianna Huffington. I wrote two. Huffington Post. She reached out to me during the election. And she asked me, she said, can you write a perspective on how the soldiers see the election? So I did. I wrote two. I wrote one for the soldiers that were for or against Obama and one for the soldiers that were for Obama. And there were a few, believe it or not. Because soldiers actually get along pretty well on this stuff. They don't talk a lot of politics, but they can accept their their differences because when you get downrange and you start doing stuff like dealing with Al-Qaeda and Afghani, crazy Pakistani-trained Taliban coming across the border at night trying to kill you, you kind of put those differences aside. And so I published those two articles. And I'd never in my life seen the visceral, foaming-at-the-mouth hatred for soldiers. And the soldiers sat there and literally were just in shock because they were all excited to see how... I didn't give anybody's names, none in fact. I just gave a moment in time as the election results were being tallied and got their reaction. And I just wrote it from that like an observer because they were watching it. And it was stunning. Now, here's the crazy part. The public affairs office contacted me after that. They were up in Bagram and they sent a message down to me and they just said, just wanted to compliment you on what a fair and fantastic piece of journalism you did. It just allowed the soldiers to speak truth, and you you didn't give out their names so they couldn't have retribution, but you gave an honest view of what actually people were, and I appreciated that. But in this country, and this isn't, now this is in the war zone, right? This is in Afghanistan. But in this country, we witnessed our country literally at that moment in time, it was lost. And I don't know why that didn't settle in here. I really haven't figured it out. People felt disempowered. They felt like the election was stolen. But then those that really stood by and started speaking truth got marginalized. How many people out here were saying that Obama was an illegal president? People were like, knock it off. It's just, you just lost the election. You're bad. And those were conservatives too. Or what about the folks that started talking about, you know, the fact that the election was rigged or that he was, in fact, an illegal president, his birth certificate was faked. Oh, don't touch that one. Even by conservatives, don't touch that one. Especially if you want to go into a church and say that, whoa, you're gone. Better find yourself a new pew at the back. Where were our pastors, by the way? Because they weren't there. And they weren't standing up for people's right to speak truth. They were just, it just got silenced. It got pushed out. I've said this all along, and I'm going to hold to this probably to the day I die. The reason we are here is not just because they took over. It begins at the pulpit. We're in this moment in time because we didn't have strong leadership from the pulpit. And we had too much leadership from the business of doing church, not the teaching of Jesus at the pulpit. And those that were trying to do that ultimately got marginalized, especially since your mainstream narrative of the mega churches and all these other nonsense things were telling people, whoa, we're in a post-Christian society now. Don't, do, don't, don't you go down that road. As I've said many times, I, I don't even know what that means because God didn't leave. And God didn't intend to leave the churches. The churches kicked him out. 
and we developed a we developed a pulpit that became out of touch of the people by their own censorship. Pulpits didn't want to touch the issues of politics. It was too divisive. They'd give you the excuse, we're a 501c3. Well, they wouldn't really. You'd have to dig it out. That was part of the problem, trying to tell you that you couldn't speak. But that's not entirely true because they could get by with it if they pushed it. And they never needed the 501c3, which I'm still trying to figure out how that con game got because they have a 508 status that exists within the IRS. And the 508 status is pretty amazing because as a 508 status, everything is untouchable by tax, property, everything. You can't touch it. It's, it's an out of, it is literally what the Constitution says. There will be a separation of church and state. And that separation of church and state is not politics and religion will not be spoken about in either domain. It is politics will have no touch on what this pulpit speaks about politics or anything else because it's a pulpit of truth. This whole insurgency has been going on a long time, but it came into full view in 2008. And I will tell you, when you're sitting outside your country and you're witnessing this ravage and raging animal raise its head up and you watch people just kind of slink back and you watch this beast come out of the shadows and assume control over everything, it changes your view on a lot of things. It settles you a lot. And it was pretty evident where we were because we were dealing with that level of corruption every day that this wasn't going to go anywhere anytime soon. There were reasons that there were meetings that happened about what happens when America goes to full civil war. Then we didn't get there, thank goodness. But fast forward then eight years later, basically seven, to be fair, 2015, 2016. And then to, in 2016, especially, to travel through middle America, right where he's talking about. There was a lot of faith, but there was a lot of broken souls. There was a lot of people that he was just trying to scrape by. And it was like going into a third world nation. I hadn't been through the Midwest at that point for over 10 years. I had images of Afghanistan still pretty fresh in my mind. I had the images of Bosnia that had completely rebuilt itself and were looking fantastic after its civil war. I had the images of South Korea and the DMZ and the Inchon fish market and Yongpyong Island, where the North Koreans had shelled, that was fresh on my mind. I had the images of Vietnam that had been ravaged by our bombs, and it had rebuilt pretty nicely. The people had a lot of spirit and were rising. I had the images of London. I had the images of Dubai. I had the images, of course, of Afghanistan. And even there, I saw a lot of spirit of people rising. But I wasn't ready for what I walked into, nor were the other guys that were with me. Remember, this was a special operations group that we came together as veterans to help mobilize the vote. It wasn't just, it wasn't a blanket endorsement of President Trump. It was an endorsement based on a very strategic position that he was the best choice because the alternate choice was absolute total loss and destruction of the United States. The plan and that everything that they're doing, that plan that they're doing right now, 
I had pretty much put the pieces together in 2014 and 2015. And I sat with guys that were mega smart in Intel and I laid it out to them and I said, vet it for me, challenge it, dissect it, tell me I'm wrong. And the answer is you weren't. All your, all your data, all your research adds up. And so here we were on the very cusp of all this, of losing a nation. And President Trump was offering hope. And I figured, he, I remember sitting with a Special Forces colonel and, and in December of 2015, and he said, who do you think is going to win? And I said, it'll be Trump. And he started laughing. He goes, you got to be kidding. And I looked at him and I said, Colonel, you know what I did for you in Afghanistan. You know the research I did. You know the work that I did. You know how I did it. And I just did the same thing here. Do you think I'd really tell you that if I didn't believe it? And he said, no, you're right. But he said, I just don't see it. This is the problem with a lot of America. Is people don't see it because they don't see with their heart. They want to see what the media puts before them. They want to see the lies. Duncan, Kilted Christian, and I talked for about an hour last night, and we went over things over the last couple of years since COVID, and we were going through the various narratives that we pursued that were being alluded to. And I have to be honest, we've let go of a lot of them because we didn't see tangible touchable facts and yet so much of the evidence was there to suggest it was happening one of those was children being rescued in new york we've all pushed that narrative aside why were the hospital ships in new york were they really empty how come the hospital ships on the lower lower bottom quarantined off so you couldn't enter in how come the people that were brought into the hospital ships that had signs just of body distortions and and defects from being evidence that they had been malnutrition, malnourished and out of the sight of the sun. Why were their faces never shown? Why were so many pictures come out of nurses or doctors trying to hold a composure, almost in shock of what they were looking at, but we couldn't see the faces. And like all things, as these narratives move along, we forget, we move past them, we keep moving and we let them be. And I did the same. And we sat and talked last night. How many people know that last, the night after the Mar-a-Lago raid, Special Operations Delta, which is called Soft D CAG or Delta Force, however you want to call it, how many people know that they launched a surprise training exercise in San Antonio, Texas? How many people know that San Antonio is, has a reputation of being one of the great satanic hubs in the United States? Maybe you do, but most people don't. We're, when we talk about illegal aliens and we heard about all this invasion coming up again, remember the work that Duncan did down there and he discovered that every single time a report came out of this mass border crossing of the hundreds of thousands of fighting age males that were coming across the border, surprisingly every single time every media outlet was being channeled and put on the same spot of land to film the same exact spot to show the same thing over and over. Why doesn't that settle into anybody? Why isn't anybody out here filming that independently? We talk about the military flying people all over the country, okay? And that puts a finger of, of 
guilt on them for moving people. And I'm sure there are people within the agencies that are doing just that. But where's the outcry of the communities that are receiving these illegal aliens? How come nobody's speaking up? How come the only people that are speaking up right now are the mayor of New York and the mayor of D.C., where they're getting physically bused from Texas to those locations? And I could go on a list. So what is my point? My point is that we have a very good tendency of being opportunistic in what we look at and what we believe. And God's not like that. If we go back and we are going through scripture and we're following what the stories are, it's not about whether this moment in time is in what chapter. It's the lessons that are there for us to in turn to our heart to pay attention to what's going on. And the one thing that we learn greatly is that over and over, the one thing that can't deviate for a nation is, to, is its relationship with God. We have to be connected with him all the time. Those nations that deviate in that, those nations ultimately pay a price. And it's not a price as in, in a classic sense of punishment. It's a, it's a judgment in a way of forcing people to live through that existence without him so that they can be tried and tested and ultimately be humbled to be brought to him. And as a nation, we've done this. We're good at finding God in the times of crisis. We're really good at it. Matter of fact, we're great at it right now. And I'm, I love to see the rise of faith. But here's the question. Will our nation, will each of us continue? And I would say, for me, I'll say without a question on this answer, absolutely, but I'll finish it. Will we stay with our deep faith as we move forward? Or will it slide because things get a little easier and the, and the happy days are here? And we can now, don't, we don't have to be quite so intense about our faith with God. You know where that's going to show up? It's going to show up in the churches. It's going to show up in the channels that promote faith and talk about God. You'll start to see, if, if that happens, you'll start to see the audiences wane off. I'm not worried about it. But it's, it's a testimony because that tends to be how we live our lives. We tend not to be convicted constantly. I've said this about the left many times. You may not like them, this Luciferian left. Matter of fact, we can pretty much despise them in many ways. We can pray for them, but they're ugly. But the bottom line is, you cannot deny their conviction. They are more convicted to their God than we are to the God. They suffer through the trials. They suffer through the rituals. They suffer through the rituals of humiliation and pain. They suffer through the horrors of what we would consider horrors of, of sacrifice and, and rape and they nurture this, this horrific nature within them that we perceive as horrific. They see us as weak. And when you read more about how they see us, they see us as weak and worthless and unworthy of this world because we aren't strong enough to stand with our God. They know very well who God is. They're very clear who Jesus is. And they fear it. And yet we don't stand boldly in the gap. We're, we're, and I think that a lot of this comes from the pulpit again, because when you span around and you look at people who are behind the pulpit, how there are so many that are more concerned about the slick back hair and the patent leather shoes and the face peel than they are about being a man. 
we have way too many pastors that somehow assume that the role of being a pastor means you have to seek spot and kindly and easy and don't upset anything. What happened to the fire and brimstone? Where is that hard gut punch that we need from the pulpit? But in this day and age, it's hard to find pastors that will give you that hard gut punch because if they do, they're afraid of offending a congregation. You got to punch. You got to stand. Bible's not about lukewarm. The Bible's not about milk toast. Bible is not about marshmallows and, and s'mores. It's brutal. And the stories of the Bible are brutal. The sacrifice of Christ is one of the most brutal experiences you could read through and, and study. It's absolutely, unbelievably horrific. That's the core of so much of the wealth and richness of lessons in the Bible. Moses, sitting with God on Mount Sinai, when God is telling him he's going to basically wipe them all out because of their hedonist ways, their old ways have come back, their blasphemous rituals. And Moses pleases pleased with God to say, no, please don't do that, Father, because it'll make it look like you just brought them out of the promised land to kill them. So God turns it over to Moses. And then you see that hand again. I mean, as I've, I've told this story a lot because the details are important, the details that we kind of want to brush over in our Sunday schools and so forth, those details of what exactly was that golden calf that they were doing. Well, they were burning children, the firstborn probably, or sacrificing of some fashion, but more likely they were sticking in a little furnace to burn the baby alive. And it was normal to them. Then when Moses became so enraged and he he destroyed the golden calf, what happens then? He has them drink the water. What's the water? The water's where the ashes of the child are. And then it goes on to slay 3,000. So we get this translation, which is that, well, since Christ came and Christ paid the ransom, all of this went away, and now all we have to do is love. Christ didn't just love. He flipped tables. He challenged people. He had the authority of the Father. But he was choosing to walk a different path, even when he stayed the sword of Peter. But he never said, don't have a sword, that only that you needed just two. We need the strength again back in our faith. We need the boldness to confront people with scripture. We need the boldness and authority to proclaim father in the space and to know that we walk with Jesus We're not groveling along in the behind Jesus. If you've accepted Christ in your heart, you're walking with Jesus as one in part of the body of Christ. And that should mean something. It should mean something profound and strong. I would imagine everybody in one place or another in the last couple of days has been reflecting on the IRS, the FBI. Wondering, wringing our hands, are they going to come to the door? Are they going to come kick in my door? Are they, if, am I, am I, did I pay my taxes up to date? What, what happens if I miss something? I will bet you most people have gone through that little exercise. I would even bet there's a bunch of people saying, oh my goodness, I remember that scripture that said I must obey my, my government and therefore I must pay my taxes immediately. I mean, I'll pay them ahead of time. I won't break any rules. I won't even jaywalk. 
we don't, we're not dealing with a godly government. We're dealing with a Luciferian rule. And the last time I checked, that wasn't in the scripture that said obey Lucifer. And we're dealing with a hand of evil, unlike anything we've ever imagined in this country. And yet for other countries around the world, they're looking at us going, what in the hell is wrong with you? You've got nothing. You've just got a few thugs threatening you and you guys are still doing nothing. From the stories that we get out of China, at least, we don't really have a true picture of China. And I've said that because the same media trolls and and treasonous figures that are telling us the stories about Ukraine, about how, wow, how wonderful a country it is as we fund Nazis, are the same ones painting the story about China. So I'm would tell you that at the very least, I'm a little suspect of their narrative. But the fact is that we at least have enough evidence to suggest that if you're worshiping in China as a Christian, you take the risk of being thrown in jail. And I would say that that's real, probably depends a lot on what province you're on and what authorities are in control, not too different than here. But the Chinese never stop. There's 30,000 revivals a day. Seriously, they're the largest growing Christian movement in the, in the world. And there's a pastor that I know that was, when in seminary, he tells a story that they were, Chinese were asking to pray one day and he, he, he heard them talking about it. He said, can I, can I uh, join you? And he said, sure, you can join us. And he said, well, what are we going to pray about? They said, we're going to pray. This is the Chinese that were there on, on an exchange. So we're going to pray of the, for the destruction of the American church. And he said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait, what are we praying about now? And they're like, you people are too weak. You've accepted a, a, a gospel that isn't strong. You've accepted a, a, a gospel where you just want to sit in the pews and do nothing. And it's harming the world. It's harming our relationship with God, all of us, because you are supposed to be leading. I think there's a lot of truth. And then if we want to talk about Catholic, which I'm going to, I, I have this thing I keep asking myself over and over because this isn't even hidden. Where is this excuse or, or acceptance, I should say, in the Catholics that it's, oh, it's just another preach, priest that diddled a kid. Oh, can't be that bad. And that same priest gets moved around and within the scuttlebutt of the Catholic church, most people usually know, and they're like, oh, he's the guy that diddled kids and he got accused of that. Can't possibly be. What is that about? And that doesn't even get into all the symbolism and the, and this nonsense, which is just straight out of Rome. What happens to us? And then there's the whole very visible thing in every Catholic church of pinning Christ on the cross, which is like putting up a, a trophy in your trophy room with all your other deer and elk and ducks and whatever else. That just disgusts me every time I see it. What has, what has happened? And how did we move so far from one of the most beautiful and opportune moments in existence to be able to connect to the son of God, to father himself. How did we get so wrapped up in this muddled mess 
where we go to church and we listen to people tell us how to pray. We tell people how to worship. We follow specific rules that the church tells us, and we say, well, this is anointed. Is it? A 501c3 church telling us that? And the the pastor's not going to go too hard on certain subjects because if they do, my goodness, it might affect that offering plate. Yeah, these are the things that we have to face as a nation because at the core of all of this is a moral bankruptcy. And then there's this whole thing which I've hit on before, and I'm going to walk right into this one tonight because it's this worship of Israel. It's not just the worship, it's the idolization that somehow in Christian faith we have a two-tier system that if you are Jewish and Israel, you are of the elite class of the Christian faith and we are, uh, we are all becoming to you holy, holy, holy. We can never be that good because somehow we're just those normal Christians. That's straight out of the book of the Pharisees, and it's garbage. And then let's not even, let's not miss the point that the Israel that we have today didn't exist when our founding fathers set up this country, but it was purchased in the 40s by the Rothschilds in which it was seized and taken away from lands in the Middle East. Now, people are going to say, well, that was properly God's land. And how many wars have we had since then? And how many people died? And what good has that been? And what about the billions of dollars of funding we're dropping into Israel to be our proxy state to go kick the hell out of anybody that stands up as the CIA generates all sorts of new terrorist cells that justifies the destruction of other cultures? See, these are the hard truths. And if we're going to walk truly with Jesus... We're going to have to look at these truths and hold ourselves accountable for the worships we've done. We have to get back to a deep relationship with Christ. And that means that we have to start being disciples. And we have to start engaging with the truth. And that means we have to start living in the body of Christ as an example for others to see. We have to remember the works of Paul and Peter and how significant it was not waiting for another temple to be built by the Pharisees, but doing that in people's homes at total risk to their lives. We have to have the courage that they did. It's what's going to be demanded because all of this symptomatic garbage that we keep seeing, the FBI, the IRS, the out of control government, look around it's not stopping. And why isn't it stopping? Because there is no righteous indignation. There is no moral outrage in our country. There's just apathetic crap going around here because people are more worried about whether there's going to be another rollout of the mask or a new monkeypox injection you have to get when they aren't even listening to what's going on in monkeypox anyway. You want to talk open about monkeypox? It looks a whole lot like a plague for those that decided to deviate from God's way because everyone that's getting monkeypox seems to enjoy sex orgies with other men, men on men. And that sounds a whole lot like the same junk that was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. We have to get strong again. We need that fire in the belly of being a Christian. We have to carry that mantle of what it was that 
when Christ sacrificed himself for us. That isn't for us just to roll over with all of the pain and suffering he went through, having his flesh literally shredded from his back as he had to carry that cross with thorns stuck into his skull, bleeding, and then hammered onto a cross. By the way, those weren't like tiny little galvanized nails. Those were like steel spikes going through his wrists and his ankles, through the bone. That sort of torturous event was intended by them, those in power, those that are still in power, to leave such a painful echo over time that we would be fearful of them. And hopefully, for those that have accepted Christ, it has completely backfired. The hope is that that moment has inspired people because it was not the end, it was only the beginning. And if it inspires us, that means there should be this forward-leaning army that's always out here working to push and take back the kingdom and expand the kingdom. But again, let's look at the events. What's happening? It's things like, man, I can't wait till Trump gets back in and we'll get this thing fixed. Whew, can't wait till November. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to vote and get those people in to get this thing fixed. What happens if we don't succeed in November? What happens if they rig the election in November? I don't know about this FBI. Man, I don't know. They're getting out of control. And now the IRS, 87,000 of them, they're all getting armed. They're going to come knocking at my door and I didn't pay my taxes and I better start paying my taxes. Oh, my goodness. Controlled by fear. Submitting to the fear. And it's everything against Scripture. Fear not over 360 times. Fear not. Why? Because we're walking deep within Father. We're walking boldly within the body of Christ. We have no fears of this world because we're not of this world. That doesn't say that at a certain point you stand there and you're like, gulp. Once in a while you have that. Patriots, I've been on that point. I've told you stories. Just another one again, one I may have said already before. I've had that point in time. Yeah, whether it's an AK-47 at your chest and a finger on the trigger or an RPG pointed at your chest and a finger on the trigger. Make a choice. Live or die. And if you're going to cow down to this, you're probably going to die. But when you man up to it, spine up to it, if you're a woman, you don't bow to evil. You embrace the moment. That dude that put the RPG in my chest or pointed it at me, I, like I've told you before, I just grabbed the RPG and brought it to my chest, and I pulled it hard so his finger got locked into the trigger, and I told him to pull the damn trigger. I said, join me, because I know where I'm going. And that moment broke his ego, and he backed off. You do not bow to evil. And we don't quake with this garbage that's going on with the FBI or this government. And they need to know it. That's the whole thing. We've laid out plans here and discussions in the last couple of days of action items to keep focused, to keep moving, to keep that mantle of the sort of the spirit flowing before us. That means engaging your, your sheriff and expressing very clearly where we stand. That means engaging your county commission to be very clear on where we stand on this. That we do not, we expect them to do their job. 
that they are to be the guardians of the county, that they are not to allow federal people into these counties. And if they won't stand with the people, use some scripture and remind them of the consequences of what happens when people violate their oath, especially since their oath is centered first and foremost on a declaration of independence, which puts God on the throne above all of us. We have to be the Davids right now. And there's way, way, way too many dead cockroaches laying out here on the street. Feet up, waiting for somebody to come sweep them up or put them back to bed. The country is dazed. It's walking in a coma. And we're not getting that fire and brimstone from the pulpits, at least not many of them. I always say that because there are some great pulpits around this nation I will never denounce. They're just doing a great job. But they're not echoing and resonating. There's not enough of them. And that means that falls on each of us to get out into our communities and to speak that, to let people know where we stand. We can get our way back, but our way back is not going to be an easy way back until we reset that moral footing in our country. Easy to say, disband the FBI. Easy to say, get rid of those IRS agents. Good. How about if we along the way we drop the Treasury? Sounds like a good idea. Get rid of get rid of the Fed. That's another good idea. Get rid of the EPA. Another good idea. These are all corrupted agencies. Sounds good to me, except one thing. They're, they're not moral people that are working there. They have no interest in a relationship in Christ. So what are we going to do with them? And that's the question that we no one wants to touch these days. But that shiny silver object, you know, that new Android assistant that's being promised by Tesla that's going to come out, the one that China just released today that's a self-automatized, walking, talking piece of junk that comes out and tries to tell everybody that it's studying kung fu to try to save, keep himself sharp and tied to people. Sounds to me like that's a cover for a new replacement for police to put robots in the field. But you know what? That's That narrative's already being built. We're having trouble in communities where we can't take care of ourselves. People can't handle themselves by themselves. We must give them an artificial intelligence oversight because they're immoral. We've lost our way as humanity. We must find our way back through the benefits of AI. In other words, we must find our way back through the benefits of a fake God. How many will bow? How many will worship their God? We have dominion. We were given dominion. We were given dominion over all this. All we have to do is hold fast, stay strong, and stay true to Father. And never never vary from our path. Luke 10, 19. Behold, I have given you authority to walk on snakes and scorpions and authority over all the power of the enemy. And nothing will injure you. That's who we are. Fearless. That's the fire in the belly of being a Christian. And that's where we have to be to win. Let's pray. Father, Thank you. As we come together tonight to reflect deeply 
on just the, the strength of Jesus and the many stories in Scripture that just remind us of the courage and strength that was put forth to continue this quest, this path of occupying the land and expanding the kingdom. Father, what has happened to us as we've wandered away and we've become so soft, become so desirous of someone else to fix it for us, accepting of the narrative that literally we just need to mark time. Forgive us. Forgive us for these times where we, for those moments when we've deviated from the understanding that we have an active role in our lives, a never-ending push to bring the light of Christ into this world, but to be strong with it, not to be weak. To be able to walk with the strength of the light within us, not to, not to mill around as if we're afraid to step on a stone or afraid to knock a pee out of place. We pray for the pulpit, the pulpit that in the nation in so many places have lost its way more consumed with the business of the church rather than the strength of the word of Jesus. And so I'll put this prayer out tonight for whoever wants to join, that we pray for the churches to be bold and step away from the ownership of the 501c3 and to be churches again. We pray for that, that they will have the trust in you to denounce that to once again return to the principles of a church, not based on some graft and offering of a kickback on a gift to the church, but rather the true sense of people supporting the church as a community asset without the need for an IRS tax model to bind it, to gag it, and to control it. We pray for the strength of our pulpits, Father. And whatever that looks like, whether it's the existing pulpits or the new voices that rise. And we pray for the strength of a rising disciple class, a group that will hear that call to be out here doing the work like Paul and Peter. Guide us on these times, Father. Shake our hearts. Open our eyes. Give us the strength. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. a lot ahead for all of us if we choose as much as we want as little as we want I would encourage everyone to take as much as you can fathers open the door only doors he can open and this path ahead is bold it's going to take the courageous it's going to take a solid trust in him it's going to test everything as it already has And it's going to be difficult to discern at times because my guess is there's going to be a really great sounding offer come. It's going to sound easy. It's going to be great somewhere down the way. More technology, make your life easy. Don't worry, it'll all be okay. Just put that little chip inside of you or pay with your palm print or whatever else. Going back to go forward. We're at the valley of decision. We're seeking the ancient paths or we'll refuse to walk in it. But either way, the choice is ours. I know what path I'm taking. It's a simple one. 
It's with Jesus, no matter what's demanded. And I know that path is not going to be easy. It hasn't been this far, and it won't get any easier going forward. And I'll tell you what, it is the greatest path ever. So buckle up. This world needs it. Our country needs it, and it's the only way back. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. But our prayers right now need to be anchored deep, deep into that deep relationship of him and his word, of where he wants us to go and where he needs us to walk. In the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy that land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow for bended knee. Until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. All this time we had to prove that we could stand here too. All the nights been pushing through, fight for all we had to lose. Reaching out for something to pull us up to level ground. Oh, I can see it now. I can see it now. Resting on this faith when your soul.
Safe place to hide from the rain. 